I'm Jay Caruso, and this is Closer Consideration. The Novel For fans of fiction, the novel satisfies the needs of everyone with multiple genres from murder mysteries, horror, to romance and historical fiction. Novels range in scope from psychological fiction such as Crime and Punishment to pulse-pounding page-turners from John Grisham and James Patterson. The novel writing process really doesn't have any set rules. Walter Mosley writes a thousand words a day, edits the previous thousand words before moving on to the next thousand words. Stephen King writes 2,000 words a day and doesn't look at anything until he's done with his book. King, for the record, wrote the Richard Bachman novel, The Running Man, in one week. On the other hand, it took J.D. Salinger 10 years to write The Catcher in the Rye. My guest today is Kat Rosenfield, a writer and author. Her work has appeared in in various outlets, and her latest novel, No One Will Miss Her, was released last fall. She joins me to discuss the new book and her process for writing, her ideas, and her inspiration. This podcast is part of the Ricochet Network. Go to ricochet.com to see the full lineup of podcasts and sign up for a membership that gives you exclusive access to other content on the site. This podcast is available on Ricochet, but also anywhere you download your podcasts, such as Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving positive reviews on the platform of your choice. Kat Rosafield, welcome, and thank you for joining me here on Closer Consideration. Thanks for having me. Um, so I was talking to Kat before we were started recording, literally seconds before, and uh, she admitted uh, that she's never listened to this podcast, so uh, we can all yell at her about that at some other time, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, she didn't know what it was about, and so I told her, and I said that what, so, so anybody who's listening to this and you want to hear about novel writing. This is not going to be a class. Uh, You probably want to put your notebook away. Uh, This is just going to be a conversation with uh, with Kat and I about her process, what she does, who inspires her, that kind of thing. Um, And so, Kat, let me let me uh, give you the opportunity to start off uh, talking about your latest novel. Uh, Go ahead and kind of give us a rundown what it's about. Uh, Obviously, people can buy it and we'll we'll link to uh, various things where we can get a copy, but uh, tell us what it is and what it's about. Yeah, sure. Um, so my my latest book is called No One Will Miss Her. It is a Gone Girl style thriller for the gig economy. Um, due to the genre, I can't really give like a very explicit rundown because I would spoil certain things about it that are kind of essential to the reading experience. But um, the book opens on a, a beautiful October morning in rural Copper Falls, Maine. And uh, the town junkyard is on fire and the town pariah, a 30-year-old woman named Liz Willette is dead uh, in the bedroom of a lake house that she rented to out-of-towners. And um, the book, you know, follows the investigation of her death. Um, You have Lizzie narrating from beyond the grave what happened to her. You also have a police officer who's in the process of trying to figure out what happened to her. And uh, eventually it all, you know, culminates in, uh, in a plot twist. All right. Yeah. And that's and so, it. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, so I can't say more. No, no, no. Certainly don't want to get into spoilers or anything like that. 
uh, it's not a spoiler that that she's speaking from beyond, from beyond the grave. I listened to uh, the audio sample in the Harper, uh, not on Harper Collins. Is it Harper Collins? It's your publisher. Or no, yeah, yeah. it is okay. So they had the audio sample, and it said, "If you're if you're listening to or you're reading this now, I'm already dead." Uh, so there's no surprises there, I don't think. Um, but one of the things about writing novels is that obviously everyone who's written a novel has probably started off reading novels before they decide to write one. I imagine that's the case for most people. Um, who did who did you read growing up, and 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 who were kind of like. Uh, you said, you know, I'd like to do that. I was a huge reader when I was a kid, um, partly because I didn't really have any friends. So I spent a lot of time inside with books. Um, but I, I loved Stephen King. I still love Stephen King. And uh, he was really a big part of my formative years because when I was 11, I had read um, basically everything age appropriate in the house. And I think I was driving my mother crazy asking for, for more books. And she pulled The Shining off of one of our shelves and said, I hear this is kind of scary. Why don't you read this? <laughs> so I was an 11 year old reading The Shining. Um, I was afraid of our bathroom for uh, probably the next 10 years or so. Um, but yeah, you know, the the sort of what, what King does is uh, something that I aspire to do in my own work, which is he combines a sort of an accessible literary style of writing um, with really good pacey plotting. And of course, when I was 11, I didn't really understand these things about his work. I just knew that I was scared <laughs> within an inch of my life. But, um, you know, I tried to kind of capture that same, you know, accessibility, but, you know, beautiful language when I do what I do. That's great. I'm a Stephen King fan as well. And, and, and my, my, my mother, uh, turned me on to Stephen King when I was like 12 or 13 uh, difference is she actually knew about his books and still said, here, go ahead and read this. And I think mm -hmm. I, was, I was, I was 13 years old when I read pet cemetery. Uh, and to this day, it's still, I'm still, it's one of the most frightening books I've ever read. Um, and you're right. He has this way of, of telling these stories and, and, and filling it in with a lot of backstory that you might think is unnecessary, but it's always interesting. Um, there is there is that thing yeah. he has though where yeah. he like lets you know who's gonna die before they even do. I mean, what is that all about? <laughs> I understand that one? I think it's good. You know, it's important to, um, especially if the reader is getting attached to your characters, to maybe kind of prime them for the possibility that things are not going to end well. Yeah, that that probably is, but it's like, and it comes out of nowhere. You know, it'll it'll it, it's not something you'd expect, and I think that's what makes him. Uh, probably one of the best storytellers around. Um, anyone else? I mean, is there? It, 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 it. Oh yeah. I mean, I you know, growing up, I, I loved reading John Irving. Um, I I have always sort of gravitated more towards. Um, what, let me. I should I should rephrase this. I what I love um, is sort of more lowbrow stuff, I guess. Um, you know, I, I like a book that has a good story first and foremost. It's most important to me. Mm -hmm. um, I you know I do read literary fiction, but I've never really um, wanted to write it. So you know, while I enjoy Miranda July or you know Jennifer Egan, um, I, it's just it's not uh, what I aspire to, but. I think, you know, like a lot of people who do this for a living, um, you know, I've 
I grew up reading literally anything and everything. And I still try to be, um, you know, not particularly discerning in what I'll pick up as long as it's engaging, um, you know, pretty much anything. Yeah. It, 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 it is interesting that you can, you might find like, I'm not the biggest fan of like, uh, historical fiction, for example. Uh, but I have read historical fiction books that I do enjoy. Um, but it's not one, something I'll, I'll, search out. Uh, but I totally right. get the idea of kind of expanding beyond what you're, what you really like and, and seeing what else is out there. Um, yeah. You know, somebody recommended Outlander to me at one point and I was like, mm-hmm. that's not usually my, my jam, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of a historical time travel romance, but I thought, why not? And I ended, you know, I ended up really liking it. It was a lot of fun. Is there any author that this kind of thing. And this happens. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Hemingway, but I know there are people that can't stand reading Hemingway. Is there anyone that you think has been that's and and, and this is not personal. It's just saying it's not your thing. It's like you just <laughs> don't like what they just don't like it. It's like, no, I don't want to read that. Is there anyone? anyone? I'm telling I'm telling Hemingway you said that about him <laughs> the next time we hang out. Um, no, I mean. It's interesting that you mentioned Hemingway. I think that or I have a theory that there are Hemingway people and there are Steinbeck people. I'm mm-hmm. more of a Steinbeck person. Uh, you know, I loved East of Eden. I loved The Grapes of Wrath. And um, and I really, really enjoyed Travels with Charlie, which I read uh, a couple summers ago, which is his nonfiction book about going around with his poodle uh, all <laughs> over the United States. And apparently that book was debunked as uh, basically, you know, a work of fiction, which oh makes me sad. I guess the poodle was real, but uh, the, the events depict in it were not. Uh, are there any authors that I don't like? I mean, I've read books that I felt were grossly overrated um, or that were getting an enormous amount of buzz more because of something that they represented in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. than because of any actual quality involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but you know, Given that the author I'm thinking of is a peer of mine, I actually don't want to say uh, their their name, so I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I, can, I don't I want say, to. Yeah, you don't want. No, no. There's no necessary <laughs> necessary to do that. I mean, I've I've read, um, you know, like I, I I'm not a big fan of 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 Dan Brown, and I don't really like the Da Vinci Code. I didn't I didn't care for the book. Uh, I think that it got broken down a little bit too much where they were giving history lessons within, but in, in a way that would be kind of like what you'd read in a history book. And mm. so it kind of, it, it, and I, and, but, but there are people who disagree. Oh, that book was great. What are you talking about? And it's like, I don't know. I've tried to read it twice and both times it just like, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Um, so I, I you know, yeah. I, I'll, obviously I'll actually I'll, I'll, I'll diss one, I'll diss one author. Okay. okay. I will diss, <laughs> um, I will diss James Joyce. I tried to get into Ulysses and, uh, I tried a lot and it was impossible. So, you know, <laughs> there we go. Screw that book and screw him. <laughs> yeah. Relatives <laughs> and family of James Joyce are listening. So if they'll, they'll, they'll contact you personally and yell at you or something, who knows, yeah. but no, that's so, um, so you've written, this is not, this is not your, this is your, if, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think it's your third novel. That you've written on your own. You have collaborated with with us. This is your this is your third novel. Is that correct? Yeah, it's my third solo outing. I did collaborate with Stan Lee on uh, the last project that he did before he passed away. Uh, we co-wrote a novel together, which was very exciting. But this is for me, um, you know, for my solo work. It's number three. Okay, Stan Lee, that's amazing. How did, did, did 
What what did it feel like to collaborate on a project with Stan Lee? Oh, it was great. I mean, yeah. it was intimidating and inspiring and one of the most exciting things that I've ever gotten to do. Oh, that's great. Okay, so this is your third novel. So describe to, to me the difference between writing your first and writing your third in terms of how you approached it. Was it easier? Did, 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 did you understand what you were doing more? I mean, how, what, what, how, how does that, what was that dynamic like between the first and the third? I mean, the first I, I wrote without realizing that I even necessarily intended to write a novel. Um, it started as a short story, and then that ended up being the first chapter of the book. And at the time, I was working as a publicist. Um, I was blogging. I was sort of just discovering that writing was something that I, I could and probably should do because I wasn't really much good at anything else. Um, and you know, the process of, of getting this book out was harrowing. I felt like I was stabbing around in the dark. I really did not know where I was going to end up. Um, and I was really kind of just flying by the skin of my teeth. Uh, writing the third one, uh, you know, obviously I, I was coming at it from a place of more experience. I had also been sitting on the idea for No One Will Miss Her probably for – I want to say maybe four or five years before I even started writing the book, it had been in my mind for a long time. And I had been sort of allowing it to percolate because I thought that it might really be something. And I wanted to give it time to develop so that I could really do it right. Oh, great. And what, what do you have any, like, and again, folks, it's not instructional. I'm just asking about her because I'll go into other examples. Like, do you have any kind of set process that you do? Like, so I, I Walter Mosley, a great novelist, says, says he writes a thousand words a day. And then the following day, he goes back to the first thousand, does some edits, then writes the next thousand. Stephen King um, says he typically does 2000 a day, although he wrote The Running Man in a week, um, probably with a little help. Um, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's not known for sure, but he's not someone who is shy about uh, talking about his, his life of drugs and alcohol. So, um, but he, he says he does 2000 a day and doesn't look at his manuscript until four weeks after he's completed it for the first time. Um, I know authors like uh, Kevin Williamson of National Review, who says he's the kind of guy who has to lock himself in a room for a day and he'll bang out eight or 9,000 words at a time. Um, what is, what is you found, what works for you? Are you, uh, you know, are you an outline writer or are you just somebody that sits down and just says, let me just go and spit it out and then deal with it later? Oh, my process does not include cocaine, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see, you know, I, so before I start actively drafting something, I do take the time to kind of think my way through the story from beginning to end. And I'll write not exactly an outline, but sort of a, a, a dashed through plot map where I, you know, sort of suss out where the chapter breaks are going to be, the different scenes. So I'll have it roughly plotted by chapter with what's going to happen, what's happening with the characters, what are they thinking, what are they feeling, um, you know, whether, you know, if people are talking to each other, I might have a, a great you know snippet of dialogue that I want to include that I know should be in there. Um, and this is just like very loose kind of free associating my way through the story so that I, when I sit down to write, I sort of know where I'm going. Um, in terms of 
how I write or how I, you know, how I bang out words per day. Um, I have this freelance career uh, doing at this point, like hot takes, which is not something that I really ever expected I was going to be doing, but it, it happened nevertheless. And I'm a yoga instructor. So I spend a lot of time just cramming in where I can. If I end up with a day where I have the entire day to write, I'll sit down and I will probably get 3,000 to 5,000 words out, um, unless it's a bad day and I can't do anything. And then I'll, you know, write 500 and say, screw it. And, you know, I'll end up watching TV instead. So, uh, you know, it's it's really, I'm sort of an opportunistic writer. Um, and I have to be that way because I just don't have a lot of time to kind of linger on things. Um, I would love to have that luxury eventually. We'll see what happens. Okay. And she's not always writing hot takes. As someone who is the managing editor of the Washington Examiner magazine, Kat did write recently a book review, right? It was uh, Love in the Time of Contagion. So um, you can check that out, washingexaminer.com. <laughs> I got my plug <laughs> yes, in. That, that <laughs> wasn't my... a hot take. Actually, yes. I, I should say, you know, I, I'm, I'm requested to write hot takes a lot. I don't really like to do that. What I like to do is think really, really hard about a given topic and, you know, kind of kick over the rocks and, and find what's underneath there that nobody else is really necessarily discussing um, and then write about that. But uh, just to, to, in fairness to Hat, she is good at the at the at the kind of hot take. This is a it's, so anybody who's listening to this, uh, it would let you know that that Whoopi Goldberg was suspended from The View for two weeks because of reviews on the Holocaust and Kat sent out a tweet that said the two week cool down period in which a controversial, controversial person is suspended purely for PR purposes will hereafter be known as a whoopee cushion. So <laughs> that got you quite a bit of attention. And uh, I thought it was I I literally it was one of those laugh out loud moments when I saw it. I thought it was great. So there is that. Oh, um, man. <laughs> you never you never know what's going to you know kind of capture people's attention on Twitter. Um, yeah. I'm always surprised by what ends up going viral. I think uh, that's one of the dumbest jokes I've ever made. <laughs> but I'm so glad that people like it. It's it's funny. I mean, it's it's almost like you would sit there and think it's almost like if a, if, if a guy my age told it, it would be like a dad joke. But it worked. I don't know. It worked better coming from you. So it's just. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, moving along on that. So when, when you're writing, what do, what do you find as your your strength or, um, you know, like I am a fan of, you know, Stephen King writes great dialogue. Uh, Lawrence Block in his in his novels writes very kind of like biting dialogue. And I'm, I'm a fan of that. And um but what do you think your strength is? Is dialogue your strength, or is storytelling your 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 strength? Where where do you where do you see yourself in that spectrum? Oh gosh, um, I've never had to think about my work this way. I, I've been told that I'm good with dialogue, and I think that I'm not bad at it. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that what I think I'm best at is writing a sort of a self-contained moment in which um, you as the reader become aware that a secret is going to be revealed, that something is going to happen before the characters do, mm -hmm. um, and then kind of building up to that. Okay. And then what about, speaking about characters, because this is something that I've seen 
several authors talk about. They say that you know, when you're writing a novel, you have to be kind of be fearless because a lot of times there might be characters that you base on people that you know in real life. And a lot of times we're, 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 we hold back, you know, writers will hold back because they know that the person who might read this book may recognize that they're, that's the character they're, they're the person they're basing it on. And so I think I go back to Walter Mosley. He said, yeah, if there's a scene where there's a, a mother in there and she's cursing up a storm and it's basically your mother, you think maybe I'll, I won't do it because, you know, mom's going to read this and is going to be upset. Do you ever find yourself in that with that kind of tension or, or basically are you one of the more imaginative writers that doesn't the authors that doesn't have to uh, base characters on someone, you know, you're just good enough to create them out of thin air. How does that, how does that work with you? And what do you think about that? I mean, I tell people that every character in the book is me, so it can't be you, um, <laughs> but That's good. Um, you know, I, I do, I tend to sort of mash up, you know, somebody may say something to me at some point in my life that, you know, that will strike me and I'll end up putting it in a book um, or I'll end up sort of riffing on it to expand into, you know, a character who might say something like this. Um, I have a, a friend who currently is serving as the inspiration um, for a character in, in what I'm working on right now, where it's not him, but it's sort of like the dark him. It's like, I, I keep calling him Darth Greg. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that um, I've, I've never really worried about people recognizing themselves in a book. You know, the one time that I accidentally maybe went a little too far um, in, in just kind of uh, translating one-to-one -one a real person um, into a fictional character was my first book. The bully in the town was um, not just based on, but named after both first and last, a guy who had bullied me in high school. And I kind of forgot that I had done this until the book came out. And then I was like, oh no. And then I realized that that guy definitely can't read. So I'm not worried. Well, there you go. <laughs> Doesn't worry about offending anybody. That's a it's that's a, a joke. It's a joke. I don't mean to offend the illiterate. Um, yeah, but no, it's not. It's not something that I really um, that I spend a lot of time worrying about. And I mean, in the event that somebody thinks a character is based on them, um, you know, that's it, it's it's never going to be true because um, you know I don't really write that way. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that it's a testament to the strength of a book if somebody can read it and say oh my god that's me whether it is them or not <laughs> there you go so i just be uh, flattered yeah so um from stephen king this is again this is from our from, from the writer we both like and this is from his book on writing which um uh, i think anybody who anybody who aspires to write a novel should read it um even if you don't necessarily take what he says and, and do it the same way, but it's still worthy of doing it. And so he, in, in the book, he says, make yourself a solemn promise right now that you'll never use a moment uh, when you mean tip. And you'll never say John stopped long enough to perform an act of excretion when you mean John stopped long enough to take a shit. <laughs> and so, <laughs> oh do, you ever, do you ever find when you're going like through the editing process or something, your editor says, you know, we need to kind of like, let's simplify this. Are you kind of comfortable with that? How, how do you go about doing that? Because I think there's people who write 
And I've known people who, who are nonfiction writers, reporters who have a way of writing almost as if um, uh, Sharon Grigsby is a woman I used to work with at Dallas Morning News. And she has this, cap- this ability to write uh, a column, uh, but also write it almost that it's like it's, it's like a, a novel setting. And she does it very mm-hmm. well. Some people don't have that capability. And also, I think they it, and so sometimes authors tend to kind of overdo things uh do you you just kind of like don't really have any set rules on how you do that or do, how, how is how do you do that in a way that you say i know i'm going to make my what i want to get across to the readers here but in a way that is either kind of broken down or i need to kind of expand it to make it uh to 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 enhance the story how do you how do you approach that i'm not sure i understand this question okay well, it was I very mean, long. I'm sorry. I just meant like he says, "Hey, don't write this when you can when you simply mean don't write Y when you or X when you simply mean Y. Just go ahead and write mm-hmm. Y." Do you ever do you ever find yourself doing that where you could you could simplify something, or is it just like, "No, I'm just going to go ahead. This is what I'm comfortable with, and that's what I'll do." Oh, sure. I mean, you know, sometimes I I tend to write long. um, And, you know, when I go back through what I've written, sometimes I'll discover that I've spent too much time, you know, describing somebody like walking across a room where you could just surmise that they did um, or where there's maybe like a few lines of dialogue too many and it could be taken down a little bit. So, I mean, that's just a, a very normal part of the process for me, understanding that when I'm done, I'm probably gonna have stuff that I need to remove rather than places that I'm going to need to expand. And when you when you're going through your your like self editing process, with I mean, do you have any kind of like rule that you kind of adhere to, or basically it's just yeah? I, I think one rule was you know your your, your second draft should be your first draft minus ten percent, something to that effect. So um, oh no, I'm, of, I, mean, yeah, I don't have just, anything. You just go with nothing, it. And, nothing so rigid. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. And how 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 long are your novels approximately? I mean, you're you kind of more of a 70,000, 80,000 word person or you're a 120,000 word person? What do you? Um, let's see. I think that I, I tend to settle it in the 75 to 100,000 word range. Okay. And that's, that's really remarkable. I mean, it's like if you, 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 since you write the hot takes and everything like that, writing 750 words in, in a day, um, is can sometimes be taxing depending upon what you're doing. Do you ever, you ever hit that point knowing, okay, I'm at 40,000 words and I need to get another 35,000. Have you ever felt got to a point where you're like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Or are you just like, Hey, this is great. I'm here and I'm, I'm halfway there and I can start to see the finish line. Or you ever get frustrated when you're, when you're writing a novel to the point where you think, Oh my God, how am I going to finish this? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a point that happens every time I write anything um, or every time I write a novel where I'll I'll get about maybe 40,000 words in. So, you know, just far enough that it's impossible to stop. Um, you know, you cannot turn back at this point. And that's when I'll decide that the book is horrible and a complete waste of time. And what am I even doing? And um, and my, my husband will come home and he'll find me, you know, kind of just sitting despondently in a dark room. And he's like, 
you hit 40,000 words, didn't you? (laughs) You're at that, you're at that point, aren't you? This happens every single time. Um, So yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that's part of it. That's, I think it happens to everybody though. Maybe not necessarily at the same place, but there's going to be a point anytime you're writing a novel at which you've come too far to stop and you become convinced that you've wasted your time. That's pretty remarkable. You know, I've written 40,000 words. Damn it. (laughs) What do I do? What do I do? What do you, is is there anything that you find now? Forget about the word count or anything like that. But I mean, um, I I can say as somebody who writes, you know, nonfiction columns, this and that, I'm always looking for a strong opening. And then I want to have a good close. Is there does it depend on what you're doing or do you find that starting a novel is easier or finishing it is easier kind of doing in between what, what is the part that you know is going to be a breeze versus the part, you know, is going to like, okay, this is, I have to figuring it out. This is going to be a pain. The start and the end are always easy. Um, The middle is where you can kind of get bogged down. I think that there are a lot of things, especially if you're writing a thriller um, where you have to construct, you know, you have to seed things in in advance so that people can kind of anticipate something maybe coming down the pike. Um, You have to do, you know, misdirection. uh, And that can be deeply boring to write because you know what is going to happen mm-hmm. um and it just feels like plotting but i have to always remember when i'm doing that when i reach that point where i feel like whatever i'm doing is deeply boring to me that um it's because i know what's going on and the reader doesn't that's good i mean that's that's something that's interesting I never thought about that you kind of know you know what's going to happen so yeah you're trying to fill in details where you know what's going to happen but you're at the reader hey they, they don't know what's going to go on here so that's that's very interesting as well. Um, any kind of rituals that you have when you when you finish a novel? Um, you know, there's a, what was it? Uh, what was the movie Misery? Remember he, he finished a novel and he would have a glass of Dom Perignon and a cigar yeah, or a cigarette one, or something. One cigarette, yes. yeah, and um, <laughs> unless you're being held captive by your number one fan, and then two glasses of champagne. Two glasses, right? Very important. Dom Perignon. i just watched that movie and it's uh it's it's so terrific um just you know every everything about it including the sort of the way that the angst of being held captive uh just sort of works in tandem with the angst of trying to write on a deadline Mm -hmm. like that is really that's really apt um i don't have any rituals um let's see i mean except that you know, usually when I finish a book, um, I will maybe clear a couple days from my calendar afterwards so I can, I don't know, like go outside, (laughs) (laughs) remember what the sun in the sky look like, get some exercise, you know, that kind of thing. Now, do you have to, do you, when you're writing a novel, I mean, you, you, do you kind of like, shut off from doing other stuff at certain points or do you basically it's just hey it's just part of my day uh so i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna go like you said you you said you you teach uh yoga so it's like okay i'm gonna write for you know four or five hours and then i'm gonna go teach and then i got a column that i have to write and is it like that or do you sit there is there any point where you sit there and say i need a week of nothing to kind of like really put my head down and, and do a lot of work here um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in revisions now on on the book that I'm uh, hoping to, 
well, actually, I shouldn't talk about this. We just say I'm in revisions now on uh, on something new. And um, I have, you know, stepped back from writing about culture and politics for the moment because um, it's not it's not even about the time that I have to expend writing about that stuff. It's about the time that I have to expend on Twitter, like, you know, kind of under like like looking at the shape of it and getting the lay of the land and like kind of spitballing ideas so that I can figure out what I want to write. Um, so that just takes up a lot of time. Yeah. So when I, when I know that I have to buckle down, for instance, if I'm on a deadline and it's approaching and I, you know, that I'm not close, um, then I do, you know, set aside time and dial back on basically everything else. There's always room to dial back on Twitter. I mean, that's always like one of those things that just, it, it it it's like it's like Michael Corleone sitting there. Once I was, <laughs> they pulled me back in, and yes, um, it's such you know, a time suck. Yes, it is. But for somebody like me, um, and I don't know how this is with you. Like I'm I I'm on Instagram, but I actually post photos on Instagram. You know, I I photography on Instagram, and I don't really have. I'm not on Facebook, and so Twitter is like the only platform that I have, and I'm just not famous enough that I can just write something and everyone's going to go and, Oh, Jay wrote something. I'm going to go read that. It's, it's not that way. Um, how do you find the, the dynamic with social media, especially in terms of when you have to, because I assume your publisher wants you, Hey, again, it's like you, they want you to promote the book um, mm -hmm. and, and get people to buy it. So how, how does that, how do you kind of, you obviously have your political hat on. You know, I'm, I'm looking at your Twitter feed, how you were on Reliable Sources this past Sunday talking about Joe Rogan and Spotify. And then yeah, that didn't of, go well. <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of changing hats to say, OK, here's my novel. Go ahead and buy it. What, what, what's, how's that experience for you? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. The your social media account is it's just you, right? It's kind of everything. Um, so you know, I'll I'll just I haven't really figured out how to you know um, time my posts or tailor them for maximum engagement. Um, although I did have some success um, when I when I had to enter like promo mode for the most recent book, which is funny because when you have to do that, it, I mean, as the author, like I had been done with it forever. I had really washed my hands of it. I was already working on something else. I was like, <laughs> do I have to think about this anymore? Um, but I did, you know, I, I figured out that if you just post a link to like the Amazon page, nobody really pays attention to it. So instead I did a thread um, of all of these, you know, reasons why it would be a good idea for you to support the book and to um, get people's attention, the very first thing I did with, at the top of the thread was post a picture of myself doing a handstand in a bikini, um, which was completely shameless, but it actually worked really well. So if you have this option as an author and you're looking to, you know, to kind of get people's attention, you're promoting your, your pre-orders, I recommend this approach. It worked very well for me. See that that wouldn't work for me. That would just drive people. To never say to never. Bleach, you have no idea. Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, here's the overweight guy doing a handstand. Go write his book. Oh my God. Oh, oh, where's Kat? You bring Kat back. 
You could, you could, you could threaten be like, I'm going to post more of these if you don't buy my book. <laughs> there you go. There's always a way in. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> um, okay, so just kind of wrapping up here. Let me, um, like I said, this is great because I was, I was glad to kind of get your insight onto, onto how you do this and the process that you follow. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the things I do to kind of close out a podcast is ask someone like one small thing that they do in their field. And if you were to sit there and say to anybody who wants to write a novel, what is the, what is the one thing that they could do to get started writing a novel? What, 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 what's some, what's one thing someone should do to do that? They should write. I, I know that this is very kind of a, a trite thing to say, but people get very bogged down in the idea that things have to be perfect before they can start writing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like, you know, if you, I think that this may be typical of of how a lot of people approach anything that's, you know, that you know is going to basically be a marathon, um, you know, to to just start start running or to start trying to lose weight it's like well first i have to get everything perfect and then i'll start and um that's a really really good way to make sure that you never do anything so um i always tell people that books are written one sentence at a time and that's just what you have to do to begin with so there you go just uh that you know that's i think is the kind of uh, advice that a lot of people give uh, everybody says i want to be a writer i want to be an author what are you writing? Well, I, well, then no. If you want to be an author, start sit in front of a thing, open up a text editor and start writing. Grab a notebook with a pen and a, yeah. and a pencil and write. Um, no, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, the thing is that, you know, I think it's okay. Um, I think maybe people are, are worried that they have an idea and they'll start writing and then they'll discover that they don't really want to write. But, you know, there are worse things than embarking on something and realizing that it's totally not what you want to do. That the right. uh, the fantasy of doing it was very different from the reality of doing it. So, right. Yeah. And it's not like jumping out of an airplane. Once you're out, that's it. You can't sit there and say, I'd like to go back. Um, so if you're, <laughs> you're going to write and you feel like it's not for you, you could stop and not have to worry about anything. So, all right. Well, uh, Kat Rosenfield, thank you uh, so much for being here on Closer Consideration. I, I appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, and good luck with your next book. But right now, you could still go and get No One Will Miss Her. Uh, You can find that at Amazon and and other places. I'll provide the links in the show notes. And uh, Kat, good luck with uh, your next project. Thank you so much. Uh